Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. If you are a Christian, you're probably thinking, oh my, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again. <laughs> I've been to so many weddings already. I know this text from start to finish. Thank you. And I wonder what could surprise me today with this scripture. And if you are not a Christian, you probably have heard about this text before. Maybe in a song or, or a movie. Because it's been used as some sort of poetry to make things look way nicer when we're talking about love. But what I want to do with you this morning is, with the grace of God, is to show that this text in the Apostles' Epistle is the most important key for us to understand that love is the first and foremost mark of a church who is centered around Christ. Love is the evidence that Christ is in our midst. I want to give you a quick context of the situation in the Church of Corinth and why Paul writes this letter. So you may know that Corinth was a huge city, a huge port city, a strong economic center in the ancient world, had, had lots of Greek temples and Roman temples or people come, coming from every side of every uh, nation there to worship these gods. And it reminds me of some sort of London of that time. We had so many people from everywhere coming to that specific center and they were there for one purpose. Worship other gods, do their trades and do their businesses and so forth. So Paul strategically moves there as a missionary. And he spends about a year and a half in that city preaching about Jesus, sharing the gospel and strengthening relationships with local people. So what happened with uh, this approach well many people became believers and they started a community a church community in that place so it came the time that Paul needs to leave Corinth and go to other cities do his missionary work and he started to receive reports from the church in Corinth and surprisingly things were not going so well so Paul, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians addresses several key issues within the church community, highlighting the importance of aligning every aspect of life with the gospel. And he first tackles uh, the problem of divisions of church in chapters 1 to 4, where members were aligning themselves with different leaders. So I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I prefer this guy, I prefer the other one. And this was causing jealousy and strife and losing the sight of unity in Christ. Secondly, he confronts sexual immorality, so chapters 5 to 7, challenging the misconception that Christian freedom allows us for any behavior and stressing the importance of the sexual integrity in response of God's grace. Thirdly, Paul deals with the controversy over eating food sacrificed to idols, or chapter uh, 8 to 10, 
emphasizing that while Christians have freedom in Christ, they should exercise this freedom with love and consideration for others, avoiding actions that could lead others astray or cause confusion about their faith. And lastly, Paul addresses problems in their weekly gatherings. And we're going to be talking about that today. In chapters 11 to 14, including the disruptions caused by speaking in tongues, interruptions during sharing of the messages, chaotic conduct during the Lord's Supper, and divisions over spiritual gifts. So he emphasizes importance here of orderly, respectful worship and mutual edification, illustrating the church as a body that functions under the guidance of the head who is Christ. I think at this point we all see what's going on here, right? So the church is facing problems among themselves and they need to be pointed back to Christ. Amen? And that's what we're going to do today. We're going we're gonna to point the church back to Christ. Okay. So, the title of this message is A Church Centered Around Christ. And although I could spend several months in this chapter alone, it was a challenge to go through it in just 30 minutes. But I would like to highlight four points of this text that will help us to grow as a church who is centered around Jesus. And the first point I want to highlight is, what love is Paul talking about in this text? The second point is, the gifts without love. The third point is the maturity of the church. And the last is a church who pursues love. Are you with me? Yeah? Is it too slow? Or... No, you got okay. You're good, nice. So, what love is Paul talking about? And it's extremely important for us to understand this concept because we are going to analyze this chapter through these lenses of the love he's describing here. And Hernandes Dias Lopes, a Brazilian theologian, I had the opportunity to meet in a conference back in Brazil. He has a commentary on this uh, on this chapter, and it's amazing the way he explains about the love. In, uh, in his book. So he says this, Many associate love with intense emotions and physical reactions, while others see it as a romantic or platonic feeling. There are also those who understand it as a passion or an irresistible attraction. The word love has lost its true meaning, becoming mainly associated with fleeting passions and sexual relations outside marriage which has led to a negative consequence such as hatred, misfortunes, and divisions. It is evident that um, when Paul speaks about love, he uses a specific word, agape. Agape love is a, very, is a very love of God. It is a sacrificial, genuine, and pure love. It is a holy love that doesn't seek its own interest. It is a love that gives itself away. It is a love that is more than emotion. It is an attitude, an action. It is about loving the unworthy. It is about loving the, to the utmost consequences. It is about loving as Christ loved. Christ loved the church 
and gave himself up for it. And it's interesting when Paul writes the letters to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, to the Thessalonians, and um, the Philippians, oh, Ephesians, yeah. <laughs> he gives thanks to the Lord for the love this church has for each other. But he does not do that with the church in Corinth. In fact, the church in Corinth is perfect in gifts and its theology. He says that in, in chapter 1, verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of your, of your Lord Jesus Christ. The church was full of gifts, but they lack the practice of love. And the love he's referring here is Christ himself. If we are not centered around Christ, we won't love the same way Christ loved the church. The solid pillar on which our faith is structured and founded is Christ's love. That's the foundation of Christianity. And if we are not centered in this truth, we cannot produce spiritual gifts. Paul says that all of our work will be in vain. Even if we give our lives, even if we give our bodies to be burned, it will be in vain. Which leads me to the second point. The gifts without love. And I want to share a quick story of my early experience uh, with God when I became a Christian. So I was going to church for quite a while back then. And my mother-in-law invited me to go to this Tuesday afternoon service. And I was a, a bit reluctant because I knew it was a very Pentecostal service. And they pray like for deliverance in the end. So I was, oh my, what if I go there and something happens in the end of the service? So, you know, I was in, in a very comfortable place. I, I had my life outside the church. I was going to church and doing everything they, they did there, praying, fasting, reading the Bible, etc. But honestly, I was going to church because I was dating Carol. She was going to church. It was very convenient. So why not, right? Let's go to this Tuesday afternoon service. And the preaching was around John 3.16. And when the preacher got to the verse 18, which says... Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, believe in him is already condemned, because he has not believed in, this, in the name of the only Son of God. And when he, when he reached that, that verse specifically, something, something came into my heart and said, I'm going to hell. I'm literally going to hell. If everything ended today, I was going to hell on that day. And this sense of, uh, I don't know if it was a desperation or a relief because I, I finally understood that, I kicked it in and I, I found myself with my arms uh, raised and my face on the floor, uh, I was just yelling, Jesus, save me! Jesus, save me! That, that was the only... Thing I could ever, I, I was thinking that moment. I, I wanted Jesus to save me. That was the, that was my, my utterly desire. And next to me was this lady. She was screaming and screaming and, 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 and crying. 
And then the pastor approached her and started to pray for her. And she immediately fell on the floor and started to scream and curse him out loud. And I was, I was thinking like desperately, oh my God, I am next. <laughs> I am, what, what am I going to do? I need to get out of this place. Or, but no, at that point, I just wanted to, to have Jesus washing me up and cleaning me. And God, if there's anything inside of me, just cast it out. I want to be clean. I want to be clean. I want to belong to you. I believe in you. That was my, my desire. And the pastor prayed. Nothing happened. Thank God. <laughs> but when we finished the sermon, I rushed to him and said, how can I join the deliverance ministry? How can I join this? How can I experience this power of God? That's all I want. I want to see people getting delivered and, and the power of God uh, in their lives. So I immediately joined the, the deliverance ministry, started to learn about spiritual battles, uh, prayer and fire and everything you can imagine. I started to read loads and loads of sermons and teachings. At some point, I was, you can picture this image of a priest in the Exorcist movie, you know? I was pretty much like it, doing loads of weird stuff, carrying symbols and things around. I didn't even care for the people there that were getting saved. I was more like, yes, the power of God, the power of God, using, using, using the power of God. I wasn't loving anyone at all. And I don't know what God was, was planning to do that, but my experience with Jesus was very intense from the beginning. And it took me a while to understand that spiritual gifts are not to be used for our own benefit or for our own glory. And when we receive a spiritual gift, we are tempted to immediately have our own ministry about it or have our own group of other people who have received the same gift and we start to use this for our own benefit and we forgot to look at the church. And this happened even last night when I was preparing this sermon. I was started to read it again, again, again and wondering what Dr. Lloyd-Jones would do to finish this sermon that everybody want to be here again and listen more and more. Or what would uh, Charles Persian say about chapter 13 in his poetry words and, and in a way that people fell in love uh, with the sermon. Then I heard the voice of God again saying, are we going there again? <laughs> yeah, no Lord, we're not going there. The only thing I want is to see people leaving this place with their mouths open, saying, Glory be to God. Amen. That's the only thing I want today. I want 
us to leave this place giving glory to God alone. And we don't use our gifts here for the benefits of ourselves. We don't prophesy in this place because we want to see people coming and uh, searching for revelations for their own personal lives. We want to prophesy here to give hope to the church that Jesus is coming and He is meeting His bride and we will be living in perfect union with Him in eternity. Amen. That's why we prophesy. We don't want to see people getting healed or we experience healing here to queue up people in this door as in a hospital just getting healed and leaving this place. We want to see them getting healed and when they move out and they are asked, what happened to you? I don't know, but one thing I know, once I was blind and now I see. That's why we heal. That's why we use healing. So the glory is back onto Him, not to us. The church is blessed with spiritual gifts, so when they are used, it's for the God's glory alone. Regardless of the gift you were given, you are not, if you are not leading people to glorify God, what Paul, what Paul says is useless. It is useless. And he has already taught that in uh, that love's built up in chapter eight. When gifts are exercised in love, they build up for the church. But when gifts are not used with love, we hurt people and we damage the church. So David Pryor, an American theologian, says the believers in Corinth, though that. Though that those who had the gifts of prophecy thought those who had the gifts of prophecy, tongues, knowledge, and faith to perform miracles were the top-notch believers. They were the most important people. However, Paul challenges this idea and says that without love, these people were utterly insignificant. Without love, believers with the most spectacular gifts score zero and become nothing. God does not delight in a loveless Christian. God cannot use for His own glory a Christian without love. And let me give you another example of gifts being used for personal glory and what Jesus says about the, the false prophets and works without love. So that's in Matthew chapter 7. Verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a, a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will I enter the kingdom, will, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name 
and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, your workers of lawlessness. I don't know how you feel about this, but I have a great sense of danger with this, these words of Jesus. We see across the course of history, many people thinking that they will achieve salvation by practicing good works, doing what they think is right during that specific moment, uh, or doing whatever their religion says um, they need to do to achieve salvation or go to heaven. But in the end, when we hear Jesus saying that you will do such stuff, we will do mighty works in His name. And the moment we are face to face with Him, if we have not produced the fruits of love, He will say, depart from me for I, not, I do not know you. In John chapter 5, He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. So what's the, the big problem here? Without the love of God, everything is worthless. Everything we do is worthless. We need to come to Jesus so we can produce fruits that comes out from Himself. That's the only approved work before God. Everything that comes out from Jesus through us is valid. Everything that comes out from us to Jesus is worthless. Because it comes out from ourselves. He is the only hope we have for He has taken upon Himself all, thing, all sins of humanity and He has destroyed the works of the devil. Everything is upon Him and He has taken all of our sins. That's, that's why the, His work on the cross is perfect. If we could do everything we could ourselves and we could be approved by God we wouldn't need Jesus so his work would be worthless which is a big heresy to say that <laughs> that's why Paul is calling that church you need to return back to Jesus because his work is the work of God now let me show you um, how Paul teaches the church to come to Jesus so they can grow in unity and maturity. Paul in chapter 3 refers to the church in Corinthians as people of the flesh, infants in Christ, behaving only in human way. So the church was desiring the temporary gifts they were receiving over the eternity and perfect life of Christ. They were experiencing those gifts and they were valuing it more than Christ himself. And it seems that they were more concentrated in this momentary life they have here over what God has promised them in whole 
in the whole eternity. So Paul uses this imaginary way to say that, well, we are all part of the same body. All of our gifts are distributed according to the Spirit, but we are under the same head, which is Christ. So how come we, um, we privilege some gifts over others, and how we subjudge smaller gifts that could look irrelevant, but they're as important to the whole body as a higher gift. So what are you doing? And in this present time, we are still unable to comprehend the splendor of glory that's yet to be revealed. So he does this um, comparison to what we're seeing, we're seeing here is just a mirror, a blurred mirror comparing to the face-to-face -face image we have when we meet him. Of course, if you're going to look at a plain mirror today, you see pretty much the clear image of yourself or whatever you, you were seeing. But back then, mirrors were more like a polished uh, hood of a, of a car. So you, you wouldn't see perfectly the image that is reflecting there. And Paul highlights that what we're seeing and experiencing here with spiritual gifts are temporary. This is just a tiny little portion of what we're going to experience in eternity. And all the gifts we received are for this life and for church edification. So, love remains throughout the whole eternity. This is, these gifts we're experiencing here, they will cease when we enter eternity. They won't be, they won't be needed anymore. There will be no more tears. There will be no more healing. We will live a perfect life with Jesus. So he calls out that to live in eternity is to live in God's love, in relationship with Him, and communion with saints. All the gifts will cease and will be absorbed in, per in perfection in eternity. So that's why Paul highlights love as a more excellent way for the church. He's pointing the church to Jesus Christ. That's the utterly most best outcome for, for the church to, to pursue. And I'm, I'm going to close with the last point, looking at the characteristics of a church who pursues love. So what we're seeing here is that Paul is talking about a church who pursues love is a church that evidence Christ being formed in it. So Christ's love will compel each person in the gathering of the church to use their role in favor of the well-being of others. It's a selfless love. It's a love that gives up on everything you have in favor of your community, in favor of the other. It is not a spiritual gift. We're not, we're not blessed with a spiritual gift of love. That comes out from Christ. And that comes out from His work in our lives. So every Christian needs to produce good fruits. Because we are attached to the same vine. There is no way. The only evidence we will have if we are producing fruits in Christ, uh, sorry, the only evidence we have 
if we're attached to the vine, is that we're producing good fruits. If we are experiencing the most beautiful gifts, if we are working in power, doing mighty works, but we live as devils, that will only prove that we're not attached to the vine. In 1 John, he says, God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. So what's the evidence that we have the love of God? Jesus says that, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Is Jesus concerned about the gifts you have received? If you prophesy, if you speak in tongues, if you heal, if you do mighty works, or, or is He concerned that love is being produced in us? If you are loving one another, if we are serving one another. That's the evidence the church has that Christ is amongst them, that Christ is, in, is working in their midst. And that's what we should pursue. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, Pursue love and utterly desire the highest gifts. Pursue love. We need to be a church who pursues love above all. Um, I would like to close this moment with, with a couple of re reflections. And in communion, we, we participate in the body of Christ. It is a great way for us to remember what He has done for us, how He poured His love out for us. And we do that in remembrance of Him. So, if you are a Christian here today, uh, I would like to give you a few minutes to pray about this message you heard. Do you think the, a church centered around Christ should pray for spiritual gifts to feel affirmed as Christians? Meaning that you are not 100% sure you are a Christian because you think you don't have gifts. Or you think a church centered, centered around Christ should trust that they already have been affirmed as Christians and have already been blessed with a multitude of gifts. Therefore, they should pray for God to use these gifts in love to build the church and testify we are disciples of Christ. If you are not a Christian and you heard this message, I have some really good, really good news for you. You were exposed to the gospel of Jesus this morning. And you heard that Christ is the only hope we have and the only hope we can ever expect. He has died on a cross for our sins and He has done the work Himself. He is God and He is the only way we can be saved. There will be no works that can save ourselves. He has done all the work and He has gone to the cross up to the very last moment. He gave Himself for us 
He was crushed. We sing about that. He was crushed on that cross. And he has destroyed the works of evil. The only way we can be saved is repenting from our sins and believing in Christ alone for forgiveness of sins. And then we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We will be testified as followers of Christ if we repent and believe in Him. That's the only way. There's nothing we can do to pursue salvation. There's nothing we can do ourselves alone that will make us just before God. In the very last day, when we are face to face with Him, the only thing He will see, if He doesn't see Himself, He will say, depart from me for I, not, I do not know you. 